0: You're listening to The Big Show with Russick and Rose on the official home of your Calgary Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan.
1: Hour number two, live from Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio, it's The Big Show, Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Our man J-Mac, Julian McKenzie, covers the Flames for The Athletic. With Jonas at the bottom of the hour, had an interesting quote about Noah Hannifin. We'll talk to J-Mac about that at 730 30. And uh, Frank Saravalli, NHL Daily Faceoff, will join us in studio at the top of the next hour. Looking forward to seeing Frank in studio with us. That'll be fun. Uh, What's always fun is talking golf with our next guest. Golf analyst does stuff for Sportsnet. Our man on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. We say good morning to Adam Stanley. Hello, sir. How are you?
2: I'm uh, doing much better than the American Ryder cup team. That's Um, for sure. I
1: wanted to ask you what, what time did you wake up? How's your sleeping schedule right now? Watching this Ryder cup live.
2: Well, I have, a, I have a one-year-old, so the sleeping <laughs> is not really on my radar at the best of times anyway. So uh, I was up like she was she was a little fussy this morning. So she was up, you know, kind of 4, 430, kind of doing a few things and mm. looked at my phone and saw that the European team was uh, dominating the morning wave going 4 and 0. And I was like, I'm going back to bed. And I, and I did. And, and I did not feel bad about any of that. Uh, and it certainly has continued in, in this afternoon wave over there.
1: Um are you are you much like many Canadians Adam that you take a lot of joy in watching the Americans get waxed in this competition?
2: Yeah, and I think it's uh <laughs> I th- yes, it's the short answer to that. And it's just become so and it, and and coming out so I was at the Ryder Cup the last time at Whistling Straits and it was just like it was incredibly just eye-opening how everything went right for the American side. And then, you know, the numbers don't lie. They win 19 to nine, 10 point advantage is the the biggest winning margin in a Ryder cup. Since I think it was the mid seventies. Uh, so they just had everything going, going their way. Now, of course, you know, it was still kind of mid COVID pandemic. So the European fans didn't travel all that well. Uh, they had all the guys doing all the right things. And then you kind of thought, well, all right, they they got to take all of that to, to Europe and, and things are going to be, it's going to be a tough go. And, and now just seeing them get absolutely pulverized by a variety of different uh, in a variety of different ways you look at you know the veterans like a john Rahm, like a victor hovland who we knew was going to be so good this week but also you've got uh, hoy and you've got aberg you've got these early 20s rookies who are just taking it to these guys and it's um you know it, it's definitely been a very fascinating first day first you know kind of three quarters of a day you know at the Ryder cup but definitely an, an enjoyable experience as as someone who's uh, who's cheering for the Euros here.
3: How contentious has it been? Because I, I keep seeing stuff about Tommy Fleetwood's caddy and and one of the Johnsons on Twitter. I, has <laughs> it been contentious thus far?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think there's. There's there's an element of gamesmanship to this, you know, at the the best of times, obviously, but you know if you're if you're captain Zach Johnson and he seems to be the guy who has caused you know some of these issues now now twice yes you're right Uh, he he stood a little bit too close or, or he was a little bit too far ahead of Tommy Fleetwood in the morning and then, uh, apparently he was the same thing happened and this time in, in the Matt Fitzpatrick group, uh, he was asked to, to kind of back off. So, I mean, if your squad is down, down for nothing and, and, and tracking towards being down, you know, Six-two at the best of times, maybe seven-one. Just the way that things are going here. I mean, you got to you got to do something. Uh, it's a it's a road game. You know, there's going to be some animosity. You know, there's going to be the majority of people cheering against you. And if your team is down, well, you know, you're the captain for a reason. So you got you got to do something. It doesn't look like the the actual golfers themselves are um, you know causing any 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 contentious kind of outputs here. Uh, I think that's partially due to the fact that none of these matches are particularly close. So mm-hmm. uh, you know you. You look, at, uh, you look at the final match of the day, Fitz and Rory, I mean, they're six up through seven holes. You know, on the American side, you're not really going to be chirping these guys too much if you're, if you're down this much.
3: That's the beauty of it, isn't it? Watching some new rivalries form when we get to watch some of these matches. Like, is there anything that you kind of think of that has been birthed from the Ryder Cup that has gone on to have an impact on regular tour play and everything that, you know, has eventually come from Live and the PGA and everything yeah. that has come after?
2: Yeah, I mean it's it's a good question. I I don't know if anything really is, is is on top of my mind. You look at you look at maybe an individual like like Justin Thomas or or, or take it back. You think about someone like Ian Poulter, right? Ian Poulter uh, was an absolute spark plug for the European team for a number of years. And any time you know he teed it up on the PGA Tour, it wasn't particularly, you know, kind of Ian Poulter 1v1 against another golfer uh, at at a stroke play event, but it was kind of like Ian Poulter versus, you know, Americans in in general. He was just kind of that thorn in the side for for that squad uh, same maybe now for for someone like justin thomas like you know i've got i've got the coverage up on the background here as we're chatting and and jt just club twirled a an iron shot that landed like 25 feet away uh <laughs> while, while his, you know while their match is, is tied so you know i i think that there's a little bit of you know individual fire that comes up to the surface and and you know someone like jt anytime he tees it up in Europe, you know, it's going to be, oh man, that JT, like, argh. just like, you know, Poulter whenever he tees it up in America, it was kind of the same deal.
3: I love a good club twirl after putting it in the sand really gets people oh, thinking, yeah. well, this <laughs> guy's a lunatic. <laughs> what like, am I dealing with he here? Right there.
1: But, yeah. but, but Adam on, on the, on the subject of uh, Justin Thomas, how surprised were you that he was a captain's pick?
2: The surprise of a captain's pick? Not, not that much. I mean, I think, um, for me, it is it is the Ryder Cup team, and and yeah, that that kind of leans into the you know old boys club kind of fashion of of you know how the team is is put together. But you know, at the end of the day, to to be frank, if Someone like Keegan Bradley, you know, someone like let's even Russell Henley, who was ahead of JT in the stats and is the number one putter on the PGA Tour and has been for a number of years, winner on the PGA Tour last year. Uh, Lucas Glover as well, obviously a two-time winner uh, this fall. Like if those guys don't know anyone, if those guys aren't hanging out with anyone, if there's extra layers to preparation. With respect to introducing guys or finding out a little bit more about their games, you know that that just adds pressure to an already pressure-packed situation. JT, you know what you're going to get. You got a baked-in pairing in Jordan Spieth, uh, and I can kind of go on and on. What I was more surprised of, less about JT actually being picked for the team, but Zach Johnson trots out the line. Justin Thomas is not someone that you leave at home, and then on the road, knowing you need a spark in the in the morning session on day one, he's sitting on the bench in the format that him and Jordan Spieth thrived at, that alternate shot, that was incredibly surprising, uh, along with leaving Brooks Kepka on the bench in that morning session as well. I think America uh, over there in Europe, they needed needed that buzz, needed to get vibing really, really fast. And and in my opinion, they kind of left the two alphas on the bench in that first match, and, and it, or first session, and it's um, obviously come back to bite them.
3: Have there been any other questionable roster decisions either side that you've seen?
2: Either, no, like European side, I, I was wondering slightly what Luke Donald was going to do. You know, y- your team goes out, wins for nothing. Are you just going to, you know, run it, run it up? Leave no doubt. You know, remember the Titans kind of quote, right? But they obviously had a plan. They obviously wanted to get all their guys out there. Uh, you look at Hoygaard, uh, 22 years old, who's he paired with? John Rom, you know, th- perfect. Ease him into that day. Let him get some experience on day one. Don't let him just keep sitting. Uh, Bob McIntyre, you know, another rookie. Look who he's paired with. Justin Rose, 42 years old, major champ. Get him eased in on that day. Uh, I-, I think what I was surprised at, Max Homa playing twice, mm. I think uh, was a bit of a surprise for me. Uh, breaking up the Patrick Cantlay, Xander Shoffley group that had gone, you know, a, I-, I don't know what it was, 6-1-1 one, and one or something like that. Over the Presidents Cup Ryder Cup, I was kind of surprised that they were broken up uh, as a group. Obviously, that was a mistake. They're six down through seven, uh, and then yeah, like I said, JT Jordan uh, not playing in the morning, and, and Brooks Kepka not playing in the morning either. A uh, couple of surprises on the U.S. side, to be honest.
3: Is there any players that you wish were at this tournament just for their personality to be on display?
2: I mean, I think I think Dustin Johnson probably would would make for you know a good addition to the American side. Um, in, certainly in the uh, in the post uh, post press conference on Sunday, if if the American team ended up winning, um, uh, reading between the lines, I don't know if if someone like a Bryson DeChambeau would actually add much to to this. Like a lot of people, Bryson included, were wondering, well, why am I not on the team? Well, his win in uh, his second live win of the season came about two or three weeks after the team had been picked. So it was kind of a, a total moot point at that point. And then Brooks said it, said it best, you know, all of the other live guys had an opportunity to be on this team, but Brooks played the best on, uh, on, on at the events where, you know, points were kind of counted. And as Scotty Scheffler said about Brooks, like if he played literally just one PGA tour event this year, and made the cut he would have been on the team automatically on merit so uh, obviously it was kind of a no doubter that he he would be on the squad so yeah you know it's certainly in in america where it's just bomb it you know figure it out find it exactly what happened at whistling Straits. you know bryson was a was a real linchpin to some of that success on the team usa side over in europe certainly not i think bryson would have been a distraction to be frank
1: Adam Stanley, uh, golf analyst, does stuff for Sportsnet as well. Joining us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, Big Show, Russick and Rose, nine sixty. The fan. Um, When it comes to the Ryder Cup, can you explain why the Americans haven't won since the early nineties in Europe? Like, and all the talent. Like, you're talking about like guys like Tiger and Phil, and they couldn't get it done over there. Like, is it is it that raucous? Is it that distracting? That it's so electric in Europe that American guys just wilt under that pressure?
2: Yeah. I mean, Tiger in his prime, Phil in his prime, um, you know, those, those guys couldn't, couldn't do it. I I think I read somewhere that Tiger was only part of one winning Ryder cup team in his life because the 2008 one, uh, when he, he was, uh, he was injured that year as well. So, um, yeah, it's certainly a fascinating thing. Davis Love III, I, I talked to him um, a couple of weeks ago, and, and he trotted out this hilarious line that in 1993, Team USA flew from America to England on the Concorde jet. And, and at the time, the, the marketing line about the Concorde jet was that it was the future of air travel. And Concorde jets were retired in 2003. <laughs> <laughs> and, that, and still, America has not won the Ryder Cup in Europe. So, um All of the things that you said a few minutes ago, while kind of teeing up the question, I I think are parts of it. You know, the the crowd is very, very pro-Europe. You look even at the – I find, like, Team USA is kind of a collection of individuals. And uh, Team Europe is is, is a team, and, and Paul McGinley was on on the coverage just before we got on this call, and he was talking about you know the European locker room has uh, you know a bunch of photos of of the, all these guys' family and how they got to you know where they started from and how they became champions. And the first thing that they see you know is Seve Ballesteros, a locker dedicated to him, and the shirt that he wore at the last Ryder Cup. So you know there there's these this element of like you guys are, are here to defend our territory and look at all the people that came before you and look at the 12 strong that we are. And, and Luke Donald kind of used that 12 strong, 12 strong, Rory McIlroy used that line too. Whereas on, on the United States side, um, you know, just, I haven't seen them come together, you know, across the pond and, and kind of make it happen. So a combination of many factors, uh, but at the end of the day, it's just who's playing better and, and Europe just happens to step up and play better on their home soil every single time.
3: Adam, what can you tell us about golf in Italy? Because, you know, there's not a whole lot of tournaments there on even the World Tour, and there's not a ton of Italian golfers necessarily on the PGA Tour, um, but here we are at the Ryder Cup in the heart of Rome.
2: Yeah, I mean, I've I've never never played over there. Um, I know, obviously, the, the DP World Tour has the Italian open and it's played at this golf course, Marco Simone. Um, it has been played there the last three years. So uh, the guys who play on the DP world tour, uh, Bob Max tire and, and Nikolai uh, Nikolai have won two of the last three uh, Italian opens at this particular golf course. Um, Yeah. I mean, I I think obviously it's got a lot of golf from a historical standpoint, Rome, Italy, of course, a a country that's been established for a very, very long time, but it's, it's a unique setup in terms of this kind of golf course. A lot of people are saying like, you know, this is kind of an American style golf course. There's obviously no Links golf at at a place like Italy. That's you know more so Scotland, Ireland, uh, England kind of thing. So you know you would have assumed that the United States would have been more comfortable, you know at a at a place like this. But um, same kind of thing happened in in Paris. You know that the uh, Le- Le- Golf National in, in in Paris, France, was you know kind of an American style European golf course still still uncomfortable there so yeah not not much on the on the specific golf in italy kind of thing haven't haven't been there but you know this golf course in particular should have probably lent itself better to the americans than what they're showing right now
1: adam uh enjoy the golf uh it's fun to watch it in the middle of the night and uh it's fine it's fun to see the americans get the uh, brakes beaten off them.
2: Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly it. It's going to be a unique couple days if the, uh, if the Americans can't stage a comeback here on day one.
1: Uh, we'll talk off again soon. Thanks for this, pal.
2: Thanks, guys. Appreciate it.
1: Adam Stanley uh, on the Ryder Cup. Every two years. Yeah, this one's... I am just kind of
3: found a little stream here for uh, the feature match, the one that's actually tied right now, because like Adam said, Rory and... Uh, I don't know who's Rory playing with but they're running away with theirs right now. Rory and Fitzy destroying Morikawa and Shoffley. but the course looks pretty cool. It kind of reminds me of when you're going through like um like a nice course in the burbs. Like mm. there's there's house trouble a little bit. Yep. But at the same time, snap hooking in a roof.
1: Yeah, Oh yeah, definitely in play, George. When when you, you know, when you know, snap hook trouble. and then like you're like listening for a smash. Yeah. Um, yep. And you're like,
3: oh, "I want a thud, but not too soft of a thud because that's human." <laughs> Those are the sounds that we're looking for. But yeah,
1: it looks great. Um, didn't see a lot of golf courses when I was in Italy. Not going to lie. Yeah, um, I guess. Uh, good spot for the, the Europeans who are up on the Americans right now at the Ryder Cup. Glad uh, our man GVP is watching it in the other room. Uh, straight ahead. <laughs> uh, Julian McKenzie uh, from The Athletic had something interesting. A uh, little tweet on Noah Hannafin. It's it's a little tweet, but it's it's yeah, a tweet. It's, yeah. it, you know, it wets your whistle a little bit. Yeah. Yes. right. You're a little, like oh. a little hors d'oeuvre, yeah. Like ever since this Backlund signing, like because because Backlund, I'm gonna go win a Stanley Cup. He's done in Calgary. You know, very bitter taste in his mouth after last season. It's like I love Calgary. I want to be the captain. I want to sign here long term. And you're like, Hannafin and if it in Lindholm. Now you're like, maybe. Well, they like it too. Right? Maybe they're staying. Maybe, maybe we'll talk to know. J-Mac and uh, Frank Saravalli, NHL Daily Faceoff, NHL Insider. In studio. In the by? flippin' studio. In
3: the flippin'
1: flesh. Yeah, we gotta clean up around here before he gets in. Tidy up a little I bit. I like that you said we. I'm not doing that. All right. Uh, it's the big show, Russick and Rose. Sportsnet 960, the fan. Live from Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio, it's the big show, Russick and Rose. Sportsnet 960, the fan at the top of the hour. We gotta let him in studio. Frank Cervalli gonna join us. That's exciting.
3: Oh, yeah. Has he ever been in studio with us? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yep, For sure. Yeah. Maybe uh, us, like you and I. Yeah. Like the station, yes. You and I,
1: I don't believe so. Hmm. Looking forward to uh, Mr. Servali being in studio. Super pumped up about that, but not as much as I'm pumped up about our next guest. Covers the flames for the athletic. On the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar Guest hotline, we say good morning and thanks for waking up with us or for us. We say uh hey to Julian McKenzie What's
0: Morning Sunshine. Brothers, thanks so much for, for having me. Also, you should be excited for Frank to be in studio. I saw him yesterday. It was yeah a bit surreal to see uh to see uh <laughs> is Frank surreal the right the word, flesh. maybe surreal, Hey, eh? I mean, I didn't expect him to come through. It's like I was at practice yesterday, and then all of a sudden he walks in, it's like whoa whoa he's here like everyone's like oh whoa it's frank serve he's here wow oh my god he's here a national reporter <laughs> frank serve in the house he's cool
1: um you had an interesting tweet yesterday about noah hannafin that really uh, caught my attention why don't you fill our listeners in on that
0: um basically noah hannafin was doing a media veil with everybody Uh, and he was uh, obviously being asked about Michael Backlund and his uh, contract situation and him getting the captaincy. And uh, he was asked, uh, I didn't hear the specific question, but essentially just along the lines of him saying being asked about whether or not that could influence him to stay. Because at this point, that's what we're thinking about for Elias Lindholm and, and, and Noah Hannafin, essentially. Is Michael Backlund's decision to stay enough to get him to stay uh, he says he'll see what happens, but he's liked the changes in the atmosphere, and he says, it's been great so far. That's that's the tweet. That's basically it, and a lot of people are latching on to that, and they're like, oh, you see what happens when Daryl Sutter leaves? Very interesting reaction to it. <laughs> but it's the truth, though. Like I, I think with Noah Hannafin and, and all those guys, they really did need... I mean, let me put it like this. I, I think that In some of those cases for some of those guys, if a deal could have been consummated, I'm sure they wouldn't have minded. When I mean a deal, I mean a trade, especially for a guy like Noah Hannafin, who it's been out there that he wants to play in the United States. But I I definitely you could tell that Craig Conroy's wait and see approach, hoping that the atmosphere would be better, the vibes would be better. With Daryl Sutter being gone, the team more or less being the same, new head coach, new GM, Craig Conroy is all in on on that strategy, and he can at least say that it worked for one of the three players that were all wondering what their future will be. I I still home. it's still a matter of whether or not the Flames want to give him the money that he wants, and with Noah Hannafin, it might be a little different, but this week was a win for the wait and see approach for for those pending ufas and we'll see how it affects everyone else but i i think this flames team now is in a situation where they have to win i think that was already kind of clear but they have to win they may have even extended a window for themselves but it, they need to find a way to get lynn home and and, and hannafin in the fold.
3: Julian, like you've talked about, you've, you've noticed a, a difference in Michael Backlund's demeanor from the end of last season to now, and obviously the extension is a part of that. Um, but how discernible is the difference in Noah Hannafin's kind of mood, demeanor from the end of last season to everything you've seen this year?
0: It's, I mean, I think you could extend it for everybody. It feels as if players don't have to walk on eggshells. Uh, you know, guys are, are laughing a little bit at practice. We're seeing stuff getting practiced that we didn't see practiced last year as much, like three-on-three three overtime and and shootouts. It's a very different feeling, but I think it's pretty easy for us to kind of look at what's going on and see it in preseason and know that the record is still 0 and think, well, everything's all right. It, it, when it comes time for the regular season, if a losing streak occurs, I would love to see, I mean, I know fans would not like to see the losing streak, but that's what I'm really curious about when all of those good vibes, how's that going to feel? How are they going to take that and and turn that into wins at the end of the day? I think that's that's something that this team knows that they're going to have to address. If they want the atmosphere to be better and more and 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 a little bit more palatable for players. It's a, all about a question of whether or not uh, it could still be that atmosphere if if they lose a set of games where in last year's regime, It was easy to get down. We were thinking about this team being off a cliff. Let's see how this team handles that. And I think specifically for for Noah Hannafin, I mean, he's looked good in the preseason so far, and he seems like he's enjoying it. It's just a matter of whether or not it's enough for him to actually want to commit more term and dollars with this team as opposed to signing somewhere else.
1: Julian, you think think there's uh, any correlation between Michael Backlund staying and potentially Elias Lindholm resigning in Calgary?
0: Uh, I like I, I I don't know if I, I'm still the jury's still out for me if Lindholm and Hannafin will take what Backlund is putting down and thinking you know what let's double down on it Backlund definitely hopes that those two players will will be influenced by that at the end of the day I still think that because Backlund is signed the 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 the, the, the Flames have to find a way to sign those two players or find a way to get equivalents of those players. Because I think if you have a guy like Michael Backlund, who has said publicly that he wants to do everything he can to win a Stanley Cup, you put the C on his jersey, and you have all those other players locked up to long-term contracts, You have, I think you've chosen the path to winning. You've chosen a path that says that you need to put yourself in a position to compete for the next few few seasons, and a rebuild is not really an option. I see the, the contract details are starting to come out from that Backlund contract. And I believe Cap Friendly has said there's an NMC at least in that first year of Backlund's deal. So if you're trying to think, oh well, Backlund could have himself a good year. I mean, this year this year'd be really whack if you got yourself to a point where you're like, well, we gotta rebuild goodbye to that Michael Backlund contract. But I, I I think with the way that it's kind of set up, the Flames need to put the have put themselves in a position where they need to win and if it doesn't work with Lindholm, it doesn't work with Hannifin. Craig Conner has to get on the phone and try to find a way to fill those holes or else this team will be pretty much screwed for the next few seasons. I, I think it's at a point now where it has to work. They have to find a way to get those two guys or get someone who could fill in those roles.
3: What does this Jacob Pelche injury mean for the bottom six of this team?
0: It opens up a hole for one of the younger players to step up uh, or I mean, Dryden Hunt, I don't know his exact age, but you could kind of put him in that younger 20, mid-20s pile. And he's looked pretty good in camp. Uh, looking at some of the PP1 drills that were going on yesterday, he was getting PK. I mean, that's only a small glimpse into it, but there's actual gameplay, too, where he's looked pretty decent. I think there's definitely a chance that a young player could take that spot, whether it's him, Connor Zeri, I've liked his game at different parts of, of preseason as well. I, I think it's definitely... The option for a young player is still there uh, for them to take that spot. It's just it's a bit unfortunate that Jaco Peltier, it's weird to say sacrificial lamb, but he he was going to make this team. That was pretty clear. Uh, Ryan Huska even said as much. It's just someone else is going to have to take that spot for the time being, which is still cool to see a young player go up and get it. It's just you would have thought that Jaco Peltier would have been that guy. I'm still curious where they would have slotted him in the lineup. I, I still think of him as a third-line winger, but depending on how they assort things with the lineup, it could be a fourth-line spot that goes to a young player. Maybe they move Dylan Dubay in a spot and they move Andrew Montrapani in other spots as well. They seem to be the most versatile among the fours that they have. But I think for, for a young player already an opportunity was presenting itself. But if you're Dryden Hunt, if you're Connor Zeri, I mean, I know Adam Klapka is a right side guy, but if you're Adam Klapka, you're thinking, okay, this, this is just another opportunity for me to make myself strong and make myself big and, 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 try to at least get on this team as a 13th forward like there's a genuine opportunity for some young players because of this
3: a couple, couple of 2023 picks uh still hanging around at camp sam hanzik the first round pick etienne moran the second round pick what have you made of these two players i doubt they stick around they'll probably have to go back to their respective whl and QQ q teams when they get cut from camp but nevertheless what have you made of these two youngsters
0: yeah, I, I, they're both they're both likely for their junior teams. I like the fact that both players are still getting a, a good sniff at camp. It's good to have them experience as much as possible with some of the main guys. Uh, Hanzek, obviously, I think he's still just adjusting himself to, to what's going on with the bigger guys. And it's just a way for him to really, really stand out. But I still think it's really cool that he's able to get that opportunity with the guys it's him on the back end i liked him in prospect camp i think in 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 main camp just still trying to find his footing a little bit you could tell the offensive flair is a bit there the on defense uh maybe needs a little bit of work but i think for both of those players the fact that they're able to stick around as long as they have i think it's more just the team just saying just to give them an opportunity to be around some of their main players Get as much of a feel for for main camp as possible, and give them as much motivation as possible when they get back to their junior teams to step up, dominate, and then come back next year with an opportunity. To hey, if they're ready to make the team, they're ready to make the team. But I think this first go around, just let them just see what you have in those players and give them as much of a chance before you have to let them go.
3: We've gotten the roster for tonight's game. It looks like Huberto, Sharon Govich, and Lindholm are all going to skate today. I'm going to go ahead and assume they're going to be on a line
0: again. What have you made of that three playing together? I actually think it's been pretty good so far. If you really think about it, we've only really gotten about one real game with that line. And it was against an AHL team. It came in a blowout, and you could only take so much from it. But I do like the fact that all three players are playing together at even strength. And all three players are getting an opportunity together uh, on the power play. Uh, I think any opportunity for those guys to gain chemistry, because, yes, Sharon Govich has to fit in with all those guys. But Huberto and Lindholm also have to uh, establish chemistry together, too. Right. They only had a limited amount of games together. They started last year together, but they ended up pulling them apart. I I think they've been okay so far. I I like the offense that they've been able to generate in practice. I like the fact that they're doing everything they can to connect on the power play. They're giving different looks to when they were first doing power play drills, they were having Sharon Karen Govich on the wall yesterday. They had Sharon Govich in his bumper spot where, you know, around the slot, he seems to be really proficient in when he's given the chance. Uh, So I like the fact that they're trying different looks with that offense too. Uh, I'd like to see more game tape with those guys, because again, we still only have that one real game. With that line, I think if if tonight against Edmonton will give us more, uh, that will be very helpful in terms of forming more of an opinion on those guys coming together. But I think right now they've done the steps together, whether at power play or even strength, to keep them together. And I wouldn't be surprised if by day one of the regular season, barring something weird going on, I wouldn't be surprised if that was your day one first line for the Calgary Flames.
1: Julian McKenzie covers the Flames from The Athletic joining us here on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar against guest hotline big show Russick and Rose 960 The Fan. Um, we had a conversation about Dustin Wolf and Dan Vladar and obviously with the news that Andre Vasilevsky is out at least, I don't know, a couple months here for the Tampa Bay Lightning with back surgery. Right away, uh, Calgary Flames fans, will maybe Dan Vladar gets traded to the Tampa Bay Lightning. They got a lot of nice stuff there. They got some shiny pieces maybe Craig Conroy would be interested in. But I brought up this point. And I want to get your thoughts on it. I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I want to trade Dan Valdar in a season that's very important for the Calgary Flames. Clearly, they want to make the playoffs and be a playoff team. And I get that Dustin Wolf has has exceeded every sing- at every single level he's played at. He's the reigning AHL uh, MVP, two-time goalie of the year. I get all of that. But... I'm not sure if he can be a capable backup at the NHL level. I'm not sure he can wait and play every week and a half and be incredible in net. I do know that Dan Vladar is a very solid serviceable backup that I can trust and, and and make those good solid starts, you know, after sitting down for a week to spell Jacob Markstrom, your thoughts on the whole goaltending situation and maybe slow down, pump the brakes a little bit on trading Dan Vladar.
0: Okay. Um, I don't disagree with your opinion. I think the fact that uh, we're we're in a world now where you need sometimes as many as three goaltenders ready. Uh, We're seeing more and more of that with teams like Carolina Hurricanes. I know they they had injuries last year. They're a prime example of why you need as many goaltenders in your stable. And it it sure seems, uh, and you'll hear from Frank about this later, but it sure seems like uh, Dustin Wolf is probably going to hang around the AHL too. Um, I I don't see, at this point right now, I don't see them moving on from vladar things could change an opportunity could open itself but yeah i i think having vladar in the fold he's a good in preseason too i don't think we've hyped that up enough a lot of people have obviously looked at dustin wolf and wondered hey is he going to do enough to be the backup but dan vladar had a decent game the other night against the seattle uh, kraken too and not enough people have, have been hyping that up for whatever reason uh, so I, I I can see the team just kind of sticking around with all three goalies. Remember, they're not in a rush to call up Dustin Wolf too. He's been as excellent as he's been, but he's still waiver except. You can still call him up and then send him back and not have to worry about putting him on waivers. You know there's no there's no impending doom scenario when it comes to Dustin Wolf. He's progressing along nicely, and he obviously wants that opportunity to be. Uh, to be playing more NHL minutes, but the Calgary Flames are in no rush to do so. Also, I don't know if you've seen, uh, you know, with the Tampa Bay Lightning, some of the options that they may consider. Just looking at some of my colleagues reporting at The Athletic, and when I did CJ show yesterday, we had a discussion about this too, but guys like Jaroslav Halak are, are are coming up. Like, Martin Jones is another option. There's a lot of cheap goalies who are making a little around league minimum no more than like a million dollars. Dan Vladar has a $2.2 million cap hit. I think it was Cap Friendly that said that if Tampa Bay moves some players around, they could fit as much as $2.2 million uh, if they make it work, which, yes, in theory would fit Dan Vladar. What are you doing when Andre Vasilevsky comes back? That, that's, that's not an easy sell. I mean, the, the, the cap, they have the best capologist in the game in Julian Brisbois, but that's not an easy fix compared to signing a goalie who is on the cheap, who can be a stopgap alongside uh, Jonas Johansson and Hugo Anfelt, and then when you don't need him anymore, you could put him on waivers and just send him to HL uh, and not have as many cap issues compared to trading for a guy like Dan Vladar. I see why people are trying to make that connection, but I think Tampa wants cheaper goalies, and I think if you're Calgary, I don't think you're necessarily – in, I don't think you necessarily need to rush to to make a move necessarily at this point. And, and I think a good part of that is because Dan Vladar has been as solid as he's been, at least in preseason. And I, I still think this team, when it really comes down to it, as much as Craig Conroy wants to see Dustin Wolf play games, he doesn't have to rush him into the NHL right away. They could find a scenario where maybe Jacob Marks needs a break for a couple games. And then you call up Dustin Wolf and let him play for a little bit. There's a way to make this work. While also juggling with the cap, what have you noticed as far as different practice tendencies so far? A lot more pace. Uh, I mentioned earlier, uh, three on three and shootouts being practiced, which that was not something that was done a lot last year. I know a lot of people were saying that, you know, about the power play was it practiced a lot? It was practiced. It's just that I think, and, and, and Maddie Rose, you can attest to this too. I, I, I think just it just wasn't as dynamic. The offense and the power play last year compared to what at least they're trying to do this year where they're trying to encourage a little bit more creativity and flare in the offensive zone. One thing I've noticed a lot in the power play, I've just been taking some time looking at what Mark Savard, the new assistant coach, has been able to put together uh, through his days in Windsor over the last few years. He wants an offense that is quick. And guys are able to get rid of the puck and, and just kind of have some options presentable for everybody. And everyone knows where everyone is at all times. And it's been really fun to see uh, guys try to get adjusted to it. And you're trying to see them use the flair and 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 be creative offensively. And then on on defense, you're seeing them implement this new zone read which I think Ryan Huska teased that there was a slight adjustment they could do on defense. And that's probably the adjustment and to see them be as solid as they've been throughout camp. I think a lot more people are going to recognize that this team had a good defensive core all year, like all this time last year, we didn't hype that up enough, but especially since Noah is still going to hang around between him, Rasmus, Mack, uh, Tanev, as long as he's healthy and I know Shillington, that's still a big question mark. He has not shown up at any point during camp. Uh, we haven't even seen him scan on his own. We don't know what that situation is, and I'm not going to speculate. But this Flames team still has a really good defensive core, and this is their opportunity to double down on that. And generally just seeing those concepts practiced while also seeing guys smiling and and, and having fun it's a it's a very different atmosphere compared to what it was uh, last year under the reign of Daryl Sutter. It's a very noticeable difference, and everyone can feel it. I'm wondering
3: who you think has been the best pair for Chris Tanev thus far, because it feels like Hannafin and Anderson could start as a pair, and it also feels like Uyghur and Zadorov might start as a tandem.
0: Um, I'm thinking Jordan Osterley should get a chance. I liked what he again. We're we're going off of preseason's kind of weird where you're not able to get all those main pairings as much as you want. But I actually kind of liked him in that game against Vancouver earlier uh, in the week. I-, I liked the offensive instincts that he showed in the game, being able to jump into a rush uh, at practice. Uh, they-, they have a first, a second power play unit and they had some other units they were putting out there as well with some of the, uh, It's not I don't want to say lesser players, but guys you wouldn't see on a power play. And he was trying to quarterback one too and join in on some rushes. And it was, really fascinating to see they have that option we we didn't really know that much we still don't know that much when it comes to jordan australi uh but i think with the way this team is trying to play if jordan is able to contribute at least on what they're trying to do offensively he he could definitely turn himself into a worthwhile seventh defenseman uh if oliver shillington comes back but if they have to plug him in at six that's not the end of the world. It seems like he can hang with it with a Chris Tannen. It feels like Chris is, uh, you know, solid enough of a, of a defenseman. Where if you're hanging around him, uh, he could clean up a lot of mistakes, and he's just that that piece of stability that you need in the organization. So a guy like Jordan Oshley could hang with a with a Chris Tannen. he would be my leading candidate for that role.
3: Wanted to ask you about uh, like you mentioned Zeri earlier. Is there anybody else that you've noticed that you think is going to have a really strong? Uh, kind of camp here and, and maybe earn themselves not necessarily a spot to open camp but just a spot eventually this
0: season yeah I, I think with with Adam Klapka, I know I mentioned him a little bit earlier but I'm really fascinated with his development when I started covering the team last year he was described as this long-term project this big player who has some smooth hands but maybe wasn't destined to Uh, come close to being an HL player for some, for, for some time. And it might still be the case in some way. I just didn't expect him to close the gap as much as he did, at least uh, just in the AHL with what he's been able to do in the playoff run. He's been able to contribute. I think in preseason, he's had some decent moments as well. Uh, I I think for him now, if Walker tour, wasn't in that spot, it'd be more of a conversation. If he uses his body a little bit more, And he's just a little bit more rocket and physical then I think the Flames have themselves a a gem of a a a hidden gem, uh, in in an Adam Klapka. But I I still think, especially with that injury, uh, when you're looking at guys like Dryden Hunt and and Connor Zeri to as front runners for that role, and you're also still trying to figure out where Adam Rizicica could fit in all this too. We can't forget him, but I I think for a guy like Adam Klapka, if he just continues to be a solid player, he would be. He's probably the the ideal player in my mind who I think could if he ends up, even if he gets sent down to the AHL, I would look back on his time in the main camp as good. And I think it would be promising for that franchise, knowing that it was a long shot for this guy to really be something for them. I think they they have a player in him. And and I, I think if he continues to, to progress at the AHL level, it'd be really fun to see him get called up for an NHL game this season.
1: Julian McKenzie does a terrific job of covering the flames for the athletic. Uh, Julian, terrific stuff. I can confirm Frank Servali in studio right now. I can confirm. Yes, sir. Let's Say my go. to Frank. We will. Um, thanks for this, pal. Let's do it again Julian soon. Julian says
0: hi. Thanks. Yeah. I just heard Julian says hi.
1: Yeah, he does. Thanks so much, guys. See you, pal. Got you. Uh, Frank in studio next. Big show, Rustic and Row. Sportsnet 960, the fan.